Last week, Texans decided to take $13.8 billion out of their own pockets and let the government spend it instead. On this week's episode 152 of the Liberty Cafe, we're going to take a look at what this is going to do to the power of Texas government and how that comports with both a biblical and constitutional view of what government should be. Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi, this is Bill Peacock, and welcome to this week's edition of the Liberty Cafe. It's a blessing to have you here with me, as it is every week. And just just grateful that you're listening and that you're joining in on this uh, journey and this, this struggle for liberty here in Texas and wherever liberty needs to be found. And then also grateful for the folks over at Texas Scorecard. Texas Scorecard is the sponsor of the Liberty Cafe, and I really highly encourage everybody to go over there to texasscorecard.com and look and see what they have to say about what's going on here, because you can learn a lot, and and not just about what is going on, about but about how you can get involved in fighting for liberty here in Texas. So I've talked a lot over the last month or two about the constitutional amendments on the Texas ballot. And uh, all but one, there were, there were 14 constitutional amendments on the ballot, and all but one of them passed. Uh, most of them were close to a two-thirds vote or more. Um, as I have also pointed out, eight, eight of those amendments spent would spend $13.8 billion over the next two years, and there's more coming after that for, for some of those. Uh, there's an increase, of, basically what this results in is an increase in spending of state funds from $205 billion to $219 billion. That's an almost 7% increase in spending over what we would have spent had those amendments been rejected. And it's actually a 31% increase over the spending approved by the legislature back in 2021. Now, there are a lot of ways to look at this, but, but I'd like to look at it from the perspective of the centralization of power. Now, let me just give you a little background on that. So the centralization of power was one of the primary concerns of our founding fathers as they designed our government in what became the U.S. Constitution. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with centralized government in, in one sense, after all, you know, God is the ruler of the entire universe. He is the governor of everything. All governing power in creation is concentrated in him. But, but God, and, and also the founders of our country, uh, well understood the, the, the problem with the corruption of human nature. And thus we have the tendency, because of that, uh, throughout history uh, for human government to turn to tyranny. And so we had, our founders put key checks into the U.S. Constitution. And again, this is a biblical perspective as well. And we see this running all through the Bible. And so the founders were just taking their cues really from the Christian Bible. And so they put a number of checks in the Constitution. Primarily among those were the concepts of federalism, and the separation of power. 
So, so what this meant was that the powers uh, that, that could be abused by corrupted human beings and thus lead to tyranny were, were separated in a number of ways, both with or decentralized, both within the federal government and then between the federal government and the state governments. It is important to understand this concept of decentralization of power. Because, because it's, again, it's not just what the founders came up with on their own. As I said, it comes straight out of the Bible. And we can, let's look a little bit more at that right now. After the fall of man uh, through Adam and even the garden, God saw the corrupted nature of man. And he knew that it would lead to tyranny. Of course, he knew it before all this happened. That's part of his plan. And so he laid out a design for civil government. He also laid out a design for church government, which is essentially the same. Both of them should be decentralized. But focusing on central uh, civil government, at the heart of that design is decentralization. The decentralization specifically of power. As Lord Acton once said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know, he, Lord Acton almost got it right. The, the truth is that men are already corrupt, though. They're just, we're just corrupt in our nature. And, and a concentration of power simply provides the opportunity for them to put that power on full display and abuse it. And of course, one of the places we first see this in society or in history is on the Tower of Babel. You know, God had told humans to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But instead, humanity had decided to gather at one spot and attempt to make a name for themselves, a name that would be above God's name. And so God put a stop to that and dispersed them across the globe. He set an example for decentralization and against centralized power. The Bible also gives us a picture of God's design for decentralized government. He set up Israel as a government of 12 tribes, not just one centralized government. Then he, then he told the people to appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes. That's out of Deuteronomy. And, and we see Moses doing just that over in Exodus 18. So let's take this back and look at the American system of government in this context. And it's fairly obvious today that both federalism and the separation of power it really failed to stop the concentration of power in the, at the federal government level. The states today can basically do only what they are allowed to do by the federal government. It, it doesn't play out like that all the time, but when the federal government is serious about it, that's just about the way it works out. In fact, I'd say the setting of limits on what we can, all of us can do, not just the government, do or not do, has basically fallen into the hands of nine men and women on the Supreme Court. You know, whoever can cobble together five votes gets to determine the course of American society. It's, it's hard to get more concentration of power than that. So now, with, uh, with all that in mind, let's take a look at the results of Tuesday's elections. So, as I've said, you know, Texans decided to take $13 billion out of their own pockets and let the government spend it instead. We, we can see in this alone a concentration of power. Whatever the money is going to be spent on will be determined by the government. Whatever goods and services will be manufactured and provided will be determined 
by the government. The concentration of power, though, did not stop with just the constitutional amendments. Also on Tuesday, voters across the state approved somewhere between $9 billion and $18 billion in bonds for government schools, which means that the power to decide how to spend all that money is being transferred from a few million Texans to no more than 525 trustees in 75 school districts. So to put all this in perspective, you know, think about what might have happened if the voters had voted down the eight amendments and the bond proposals from those 75 school districts. The $20 billion to $30 billion would have stayed in Texans' pockets or found its way back there through tax cuts because some of the money came from a budget, the budget surplus, and it was still in state coffers, but it could have come back to us. They, they could have taken that $13.8 billion and given it to us through property tax cuts rather than spend it through these constitutional amendments. But if this had happened, if those had all been voted down, in, in this scenario, millions of Texans and tens of thousands of people and businesses across the globe would have decided how that money would have been spent. Because think about it, you know, Texans, we buy a lot of stuff, but we buy stuff from all over the globe. This would have been a global phenomenon about with all these people making these decisions about how this money was to be spent. Some of it might have been on education, some on energy, some tithing to churches, some on charity to help the poor, widows and orphans, unlike government welfare, which really doesn't help anybody. The possibilities would have been endless, but not anymore. You know, Texans decided that they would rather have government take care of these things for them. Or, quite possibly, Texans decided that they would rather have the government take care of them or us. Now, now some might object to my argument here by saying the founders were trying to prevent centralized power in a national government. And they might also point out that schools are very decentralized, much like Moses' judges. And they might even point out that the people have given their consent to this concentration of power. You know, and all of this is true. I, I can't argue with that. Yet I think what this argument ignores is the biblical concept found in the 10th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. That reserves the rights and thus powers not granted to Congress to not just the states but also to the people. And while seeking the consent of people should be a part of all civil government, there are simply some things that people should not, and I'd say in, in many cases cannot ultimately, give consent to. So concentrating power in state and local governments can be much of a violation, I think, of God's design for decentralization or his commandment to not worship idols as it was in concentrating power at Babel or in Babylon or Rome or in the British Parliament in 1776. Well, there, there is good news here. The good news is that at least Texans didn't enshrine a right to abortion in the Texas Constitution like the folks in Ohio did. But, but so that we don't head any further in that direction, I'd ask all my listeners to pray for the people of Texas that we might seek to properly take on the responsibilities, authority, and power he desires for us rather than turn, turning them over to a nanny state. Well, thank you all for being here with me on this week's Liberty Cafe, and thanks once again to the sponsors of the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard. 
Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.